Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen, that's me, will be continuing our study on the book of James. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Hi, everyone. Last episode, James continues to find the wisdom of Proverbs and uh, the Sermon on the Mount as the source material found in his letter. And he likens a person to humility with wisdom. Let's begin now in chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Again, I'm reading the ESV, uh, verse 1. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive, because you ask wrongly. Spend it on your passions, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, uh, I wanted to begin with a quote from David Platt in his Exalting Jesus and James book. He says, James is talking about fights and quarrels in the church in chapter 4. And I can't help but think that the adversary had succeeded in getting these churches to fight with one another to the extent that they lost sight of where the true battle was. As we focus on battling with the world, a world system that encourages us to want more stuff, to prioritize our comforts, to ignore the poor while we focus on ourselves, the adversary would like nothing more than to divide us so that we fight battles among ourselves and have little energy for the real battle that is going on. We must fervently resist friendship with the world." Quote. When we look at James's letter from the last chapter, we see a common theme arise. Now again, I know I recognize that I've said this a couple times. There's many themes in James, just so in case anyone feels like I'm going crazy. He's not really uh, in talking about wisdom per se, but in the fruit of wisdom that brings peace and order to the church. Previously in uh, chapter 3, 13 through 18, James prepares the way perfectly for James's rebuke of quarreling in the church. The need for peacemakers is the remedy to the community problems talked about in the beginning of chapter 4. 
While not trying to downplay James's speech, the word fights and quarrels can favor physical conflict. It can also mean verbal combat, which seems to be what James is deriving at in the previous and future verses. Verbal disputes arose which weren't told what they were exactly, but James points to desires creating havoc in the Christian communities. Frustrated desire, James makes clear, is what is breeding the intense strife that is convulsing the community. Now I want to address something frequently used in the Bible uh, called a chiasm. What is a chiasm? A chiasm is a repetition of elements in inverted order. So for example, you have A, B, B, A. A series of words representing A and a series of words representing B. James does this as a literary stylistic decision. He does this in the first two verses in chapter 4. So uh, with you quarrel and fight, re uh, James returns to the point at which he begins in verse 1. We therefore have something of this chiasm in James 1 and 2. So A, fights and quarrels. B, comes from wrong desires. B prime, frustrated desire, leads to A, quarrels and desires. The end of verse 2, therefore, goes with verse 3, as James explains why his readers desire to have has met with failure rather than success. You do not have because you do not ask. What is it that James' readers want to have? Perhaps this is not the right question to ask. So James appears to be commenting on what we might call the acquisitive urge in general. The precise object of our desire is not the point. They apparently want to lead the church, but don't have the right kind of wisdom to do so. And so now in James, uh, uh, James attempts to correct this thinking in verse 3 and following. He says, verse 4, marks the beginning of one of the most strongly worded calls to repent that we find anywhere in the New Testament. We see a stark contract, contrast with, uh, with how we, he called his readers brothers and sisters up to this point, with what we see here now, calling them all adulterous people. What may be of note here is that James chooses to word, use the feminine word, literally adulteresses, here. Some try and make something of the female readers here, but I think it's fitting to see him calling all of his readers with such a title and not just being uh, discriminatory towards women. Here might be a helpful time to look at the Old Testament for some context. The clue to the feminine form and to the accusation that James is making here is found in the Old Testament. It's especially prominent in the prophetic books. The prophets frequently compare the relationship between Yahweh and his people to a marriage relationship. So for instance, in Isaiah 54, five through six, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name, the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back 
as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young, only to be rejected, says your God. The roles given to the Lord and his people, respectively, in this context, are typical of the wider prophetic use of this imagery. The Lord is consistently portrayed as the husband and Israel as the wife. Accordingly, when Israel's relationship with the Lord is threatened by her idolatry, she can be accused of committing adultery. So, for example, in Jeremiah 3.20, it says, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, and so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. You can see this in Isaiah 57.3, Ezekiel 16.38, and Ezekiel 23.45. But it's in Hosea that this imagery reaches its pinnacle. The Lord commands Hosea to actually marry a prostitute so that her unfaithfulness may poignantly and painfully reveal the tragic deliance of Israel with foreign gods. Spiritual idolatry is akin to marital adultery in the Old Testament. And so Israel, God claims, has been unfaithful, going after other lovers, Baal, and other false gods in Hosea 2, 5, 7. This marital imagery for the covenant relationship between God and Israel is picked up by Jesus, who called those who rejected him a, quote, a wicked and adulterous generation, Matthew 12, 39 and 16, 4. Luke likewise uses this rich biblical image. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. James, following this tradition, uses adulterous people to label his readers as unfaithful people of God. By seeking friendship with the world, they are, in effect, committing spiritual adultery. Remember what I said earlier. Spiritual adultery is akin to marital idolatry. Excuse me. Spiritual, uh, spiritual idolatry is akin to marital adultery. James' application of the Old Testament imagery of God as the spouse of his people is the key to understanding this verse. James explains in verse 5 why flirtation with the world is such a serious matter. He does this by reminding us that God is a jealous God, demanding a, a total unreserved and unwavering allegiance from the people with whom he has joined himself. In verse 6, James is reminding us that God's grace is completely adequate to meet the needs placed on us by that jealousy. Our God is a consuming fire, and his demand for our exclusive allegiance may seem frightening. But really, in truth, our God is also merciful, gracious, all-loving, and willingly supplies all that we need to meet his encompassing demands. That grace demands a response of humility, guys and gals. Remember this, that grace that God gives us demands a response of humility. James introduces this note via his quotation from Proverbs 3.34, God oppresses the proud but shows favor to the humble. This text is quoted also in 1 Peter 5.5. It's another example of the close relationship we have 
between James and 1 Peter. The humility that's introduced in this quotation becomes the dominant motif in the commands in verses 7 through 10. God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed only by those willing to admit their need and accept that gift. The proud, on the other hand, meet only resistance from God. God's opposition towards the arrogant person is a recurring motif in the Old Testament. Psalm 18, 27, 34, 18, 51, Again, humility means to submit to God to bring ourselves under his lordship. Coming near to God in verse 8, James may have in view Hosea 12.6. So you, by the help of our your God, return. Hold fast to love and wait continually for your God. James is unrelenting in his exhortations being grounded in the Old Testament references. Repenting from our sins and seeking God is an important aspect of his overall call to submit ourselves to God. This is specifically in reference to the restoration to the fellowship of believers. And the last bits of verse 8 stem from the Old Testament provisions for priestly purity in ministering the things of the Lord. The psalmist required clean hands and a pure heart for those who who would stand before the Lord. It says in, in Psalm 24, 3-4, Who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god? James asked the same of those who would call near and come near to God. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.